This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 47 for March 2012 with guest Marsha Montenegro on the occult. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio. I'm your host, Andy Olson, proprietor of EchoZoe.com. Thanks for listening. This is episode 47 for March 2012. And this month, my guest is Marsha Montenegro. And our topic of discussion is the occult. Marsha has a ministry called Christian Answers for the New Age and is a full-time missionary with Fellowship International Mission. As a former astrologer and occult practitioner, her focus is on the occult and the New Age. She frequently speaks to churches, youth groups, and radio shows about some of the troubling practices of the occult finding their way into popular culture. If you'd like to know what you can do to support Echo Zoe, please check out echozoe.com support. There are several things listed there you can do to help Echo Zoe, such as prayer, recommending the podcast and website to friends, or using our affiliate links when shopping online. Be sure to check out the Echo Zoe store at echozoe.com store. There you'll find some CDs of popular past episodes, as well as a subscription option to have CDs of future episodes mailed to you or a loved one every month. A great gift idea for someone who does not do podcasting, but you know would enjoy hearing Echo Zoe Radio. You can find the show notes for this episode at echozoe.com slash 47. There you'll find an outline of the discussion, additional resources, and scriptures referenced, as well as links to get connected to Echo Zoe on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. You'll also find a link to our email alert system where you can sign up to get an email every time a new episode is posted. With that said, here's my interview with Marsha Montenegro. Welcome, Marsha. Great to have you on the show today talking about the occult. Well, thanks so much for having me, Andy. I'm I'm very glad to be on for the first time on your your show and discuss this uh, continuing important topic. Yeah, and you've got kind of an interesting background on the topic, and so I wanted to just jump right away into the discussion with um, your background in the occult. Okay, sure. Uh, I uh, was involved uh, for a number of years uh, prior to becoming a Christian in various uh, New Age and occult practices. Um, I also had a strong interest in Eastern religions and and that's a whole other area, but I was involved in, in Zen Buddhism for a long time. But parallel with that was my New Age and occult uh, systems of belief that were sort of the grounding for my worldview. And uh, I was a professional astrologer for over eight years. I taught astrology also, for over five years, I was chairperson of the Board of Astrology Examiners in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, for a year I was president of the Astrological Society in Atlanta. Uh, so I was extremely involved, uh, <laughs> to say the least, and um, astrology is an occult practice, a form of divination, and, and I know we're going to talk about that in a bit. And so 
so although I was a new ager, I was practicing an occult art, which is very common because there's a lot of overlap between the new age and the occult. So I also... I hate to interrupt you, but um, that's something maybe we'll have to touch on a little bit. Is, uh, we have a mutual friend in Christine Pack, and I've talked to Christine a little bit about uh, new age, and we did a show on the new age together. And uh, she talked about some of those same things, and so we'll have to talk about some of those differences. Okay, yes, yes. But bef- before we jump to that, well, I'll let you finish your story. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I um, I also, uh, you know, I, was, I had tarot cards. Uh, I didn't do them for other people, but I did have them. I took um, a course in numerology and as well as a, a, a basic course on palm reading, uh, the palm reading, um, although I had been to palm readers, I was not interested in practicing at all. Uh, but the numerology I used a bit, along with my astrology. And uh, this, you know, this was just part of my life. Um, I had a lot of friends who did these things, too, of course. I had, uh, naturally, a lot of friends who were astrologers. Uh, I had a friend who uh, did various types of cards. Tarot cards is the most well-known form of card divination, but there are others as well. And I had a friend who uh, was a palm reader, and I had several friends who were psychics. And then quite a few of my clients and friends were Wiccans um, and or witches and or neo-pagans, depending on what they wanted to call themselves. Uh, So that's a whole other category kind of by itself. I, I usually treat that. It falls under the occult, but it's sort of its own category as well, the uh, kind of the revival of of ancient pagan worship of, of various gods. So my community and friends were definitely this network of people into the New Age and the occult and Eastern religions and uh, was very familiar t- to me. And, and since, uh, of course, the Lord in, in His grace and mercy intervened in my life, and I became a Christian the very, very, very end of 1990, and several years later, uh, all of that led to a full-time ministry, Christian Answers for the New Age is the name of my ministry, and I'm actually a missionary with Fellowship International Mission, which is a mission board in Allentown, Pennsylvania, although I um, I live in Northern Virginia. And so my, my ministry is a full-time faith-based ministry, and I've been doing it uh, full-time since 1998. Wow. Before I forget, let's, I did want to ask about some of the, you talked a little bit about New Age and stuff. What are some of the differences between the New Age? And we know there's a lot of overlap, but what are the differences between New Age and occult? Yes, I I consider, and this is just based on my um, own view, uh, so people can take it or leave it. But this is this is how I I see the differences. Um, the New Age is much more transcendent. And in a way, pluralistic, it has a very future orientation in it. Uh, That is, the New Age is based on an idea of evolving, 
So the soul is evolving. Your spirit is always in this process of growing and advancing in spiritual understanding and enlightenment, usually through reincarnation, uh, the belief in that you, you, after you die, you come back again as another person. Uh, and so there's this, this concept that we're here learning lessons and we're trying to be more spiritual and the the view is that um, God is really, even though God is part of this, God is not the focus. And there's the belief that everybody has um, a godlike or divine nature, and that we're all connected through this one energy. Now that's the usual New Age view. There are a lot of variations within the New Age worldview, but that's one of its key uh, focuses, whereas in the occult, the occult focuses much more on the here and now and not the future. It's not as focused on spiritual evolvement and advancement. It's more focused on how you um, are, are uh, harmonizing with natural energy, with the earth. How do you honor the earth? The earth is and nature are very much the focus and standard for an occult worldview. Now, even though in the New Age um, there can be a similar attitude towards the earth um, and towards nature, it's not quite as concrete and clear-cut as it is in the occult. I also tend to um, define the New Age as a, as a worldview, a belief system, whereas I tend to define the occult as a set of practices that can be associated with or found in various belief systems. So I even tend to categorize them slightly so hence, differently. Hence a lot of the overlap. But there is, a, yes, exactly, because you can have this New Age worldview but be, be involved in occult practices. And you also find people who are very much focused on the occult. In other words, the occult practices or, or nature or the earth is very much... Um, their focus, but they may add into that some New Age worldviews like reincarnation. And so you find people who are kind of straddling both spheres, and, uh, you know, you just find a lot of mixture, but I, I also see them as having very distinct worldviews. Okay. How would you describe the occult? What kind of, what would fall under the banner of the occult? Yes, the occult, which I think is very important for Christians to understand so that they are more able to discern it in the culture, a good way to to look at it is as a set of three categories. It has three, three parts to it, divination, spirit contact, and sorcery, which nowadays would would be more likely to be called magic by those who, who practice it. And we can actually see these practices listed completely by the Lord in Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. And so anyone looking at that passage will see uh, words like divination, casting spells, contacting the dead, spiritism, uh, and other other. Other words. Now, I, I want to say something real quickly about that because depending on the 
uh, translation or version that you're using, you will see some variations. Uh, like King James may have the word Susain in there and augury, you know, and people are thinking, my goodness, what is augury? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, it's just such a, such a strange word. Well, th- the reason there are these variations, you know, then they look at the NIV and those words won't be there or the, uh, the New American Standard or the ESV or whatever, you're going to find these variations. It's not because God is describing, it's not because something is left out, you know. What, what it is, is that these are translations into English from Hebrew terms. The Hebrew words for these kind of practices tend to be very descriptive and sometimes even imitate the, the practice. And so um, depending on what form the practice takes, you can use different words. So, for example, one of the Hebrew terms that is sometimes translated as witchcraft or sorcery or sometimes divination is actually um, imitating the, the hissing or whispering sound that one makes when doing incantations. And so you have <laughs> you have these this very colorful Hebrew language that is hard sometimes to translate one-on-one into English. Also, because a lot of these practices overlap, um, translators aren't sure specifically, is this word referring to just a specific practice or is it referring to several? So that's why some translations will say um, there's a passage, I think it's in, in 1 Samuel, about um, rebellion being as the sin of divination. And some Bibles will say rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And it's not because there's a disagreement as to whether it's divination or witchcraft. It's just the Hebrew term can mean either, depending on the context. And that's because these words in, in, in Hebrew are more general and cover bigger ground. So all I'm saying here is that it is a bit of a challenge to translate it one-on-one into English, yet at the same time, there's absolutely no confusion about what these terms are referring to. And we also need to keep in mind that these practices done in ancient times, some of them were done differently than they're done today. So that's why we need to understand what do these things, what do these mean so that we can recognize them today. I'm glad you brought that up because that's, really kind of the focus and we talked about some of the stuff beforehand but the the focus of what we want to talk about today is not um, specifics of what you expect to see at your local uh, occult practitioner down the street but what are the principles that because you know as uh, 10 years from now it might be different and we want to kind of get some of those principles out so that you can see it for what it is rather than wondering you know well that doesn't fit the mold that I heard 10 years ago is that is that right. good or bad or <laughs> You know, we've talked a little bit about like TV and video games and entertainment and stuff like that, and that stuff really changes rapidly. And so, giving examples is helpful now, but uh, I always try to be as timeless as I can. So, and I know that's the focus of your ministry too: is get the principles out there, lay the foundation, so that you understand it really well, and you don't have to be retaught it every time something changes. Exactly, exactly. If you know, if I listed, uh, for example, um, several video games that are out right now maybe that have some occult themes well in five years no one may be playing those you know and there'll be there'll be something else out there and it would just be this non-stop 
you know, constant listing of things that, and who would have the time to do that and who would have the time to consult all these lists. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the idea is let's talk about how you can recognize this, what are some of the principles. So we can take them one by one, divination and then spirit contact and then sorcery. Well, let's do that. Let's uh, start breaking okay. those down. What? Let's start with divination and break down divination. And what do you um, see is coming under that particular sphere of the occult? Okay, divination is reading hidden meaning into patterns um, or reading a hidden meaning into numbers or in uh, things in nature. And um, and I'm going to give some examples. Divination can also be retrieving or receiving information through some kinds of supernatural or beyond the natural means. So it covers a really, really big area. Now, as far as the first part, reading a hidden meaning into something, this is probably the the biggest area of divination. So if you're reading a hidden meaning into numbers, numerology, where you think that, uh, you know, a three means this or an eight means that, you know, that where you think their numbers are actually have a meaning or indicate something about yourself, like, oh, I was born on May 18th. So 18 means, um, you know, that I need to learn a lot every day or something. Whoever, you know, I'm just making something up here. So you're trying to get a meaning out of a number or you're getting the meaning out of uh, an image such as you find on tarot cards. Or you can get a meaning out of the lines on your hand, which is palm reading or palmistry. You can also uh, try to believe that there's meaning in the position of the planets, the planets themselves representing something in your life and their position at the time of birth, indicating the blueprint for your life. Now, that's what um, contemporary astrology is based on, and of course, Having been an astrologer, that one I could I can really really go into, but that's it's a very good example of divination by reading um, pattern and meaning in nature because you're looking at something in the natural world, you know, the planets and the sun and the moon. Then you have other forms of uh, divination that are more subtle. For example, using a pendulum, holding a pendulum and swinging it. You know, and saying, okay, I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to ask this question. Should I take a vacation uh, to the beach this year? And then you hold the pendulum and you decide, well, if it goes right to left, that means yes. And if it goes up and down, it means no. Um, what you are doing is divination because you believe that there is some kind of force um, or maybe a god, depending on, on your belief, that is going to move. The, the pendulum in the way that it should move to indicate what you should do. So that sounds kind of subtle form of, of divination. You said, that sounds eerily like the the magic eight ball thing too. Well, yeah, the magic. I've been asked about the magic eight ball, and I I, well, I realize that it's a game. Now it's kind of set up with a limited number of answers. I and I I think technically it's a game, but it's based kind of on an occult principle, and it's very close to the idea of divination. So it it kind of, in a way, softens you up for accepting divination. I wouldn't actually call it divination, but okay. it's, it's, the, it's the idea of it. 
And, and you know, and what I tell people is, okay, you, I mean, you can make anything a tool of divination. You can now, I, and and I want to make a distinction here. Sometimes people will toss a coin to decide something. Okay, should we, should we, uh, for lunch, should we go to a Mexican restaurant or an Italian restaurant? And you can't decide, so you're like, okay, I'm going to toss a coin. You know, toss a coin. Heads Italian, you know, tails Mexican. That's not divination. Okay, that's just you're just trying to decide, and you're. <laughs> You know, you're using a coin to 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 help you make the decision. That's not divination. Um, but you can do it where you, if you really believe there's some kind of of power or force or God that is moving things to give you the answer. Now, one example of divination in ancient times, it's actually mentioned in the Bible, and I and I'm. I think it might be Hosea, but I could be wrong. There is a book in the Old Testament that mentions throwing down the arrows on the ground. Okay. Um, this was a form of divination where they threw arrows on the ground and read the pattern. And they also read the patterns of um, birds, the flight of birds, which I think is mentioned somewhere else in the Old Testament. So divination can be anything, and that's why it's important to understand the principle behind it, that you're trying to read a meaning that is not apparent or obvious um, or even really there, and you're taking something, and these meanings, like in astrology and palm reading and tarot cards, have been around for a long time. They may alter somewhat in the culture and, you know, as time goes by, but those have been around for a very long time. Um, now, so there's also, uh, another one that a biblical example that comes to my mind is um, casting lots. And, but that one is oftentimes uh, endorsed by the Lord, it seems. Okay, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, Andy, because um, I do want to say something on that. And by the way, I actually have... I, I've, written on, on casting lots in my book, um, Spellbound, A Paranormal Seduction of Today's Kids, which is about the, it's about the occult, basically, is what the book is about, and how we see it marketed in our culture. Um, casting lots in the Old Testament could be done two ways. It could be done as a pagan thing, um, or, it, or and it was also done at the direction of the Lord. And a lot of people think the omen and the the Thuman, which which I may not be saying them right, which that people think might have been two types of stones that were in the priest's ephod, and he would take those out to discern, um, you know, a message from the Lord or the will of the Lord. That was all at the direction of the Lord. The Lord instituted that as a way to guide his people. And so as far as when the Israelites were using it correctly, um, this was not you could say it's divination, but it's not occult divination. Because divination basically just means, you know, getting divine guidance. So you could say it's a it's a biblical form of divination that was condoned by the Lord. Later on, we see in the um, in the New Testament, they the last time any Christians used lots, or the only time that I can think of, is in Acts before they have. They were given the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Replacing, very interesting. And that was when they were uh, naming a successor to Judas as the twelfth disciple. Right, and they prayed. It mentions that they prayed. So I think that was the last time lots were were used in, in a way that was 
that was directed by the Lord. And after they had the Holy Spirit, there is absolutely no more example given of, of any of the Christians using lots. Paul never says in his epistles, he never gives it as advice, you know, if you can't decide, then, you know, cast the lots. <laughs> so clearly this was something done before the Holy Spirit. Now, the pagan world used lots, too. But when it was done in accordance with God's will, it was not an occult form of divination. So there are distinctions that we, you know, if you think about it, you can see how there are distinctions here. Um, another one is a psychic, um, because a psychic is getting information through some kind of supernatural means. Now, there's, the psychics have different beliefs about where they're getting this information, but it's not coming from the normal five senses. So that can also be um, divination. And then I wanted to, to add this information to it. Um, if you see a word ending in Mancy, M-A-N-C-Y, yep. it is probably a form of divination, okay. because Mancy comes from the Greek mantia, which means divination. So there's a lot of words. Necromancy, for example, is divination by consulting the dead. Cassiomancy is the official name for tea leaf reading. Um, not all forms of divination have that, like astrology doesn't, but a lot of them, a lot of them do. I mean, there's there's probably over 200 words that end in Mansi that all refer to divination. So that is kind of a clue for people. Um, and uh, arismancy, which is in the Harry Potter books, arismancy is just numerology. It's just another word for numerology. So it's reading meaning in numbers. And geomancy, I wanted to mention geomancy. Of course, geo, you may know that word, uh, referring to the earth, right? Yeah. Geography. Um, geomancy is reading, getting a message and reading a meaning into the stru different structures of the earth. And this is actually used in feng shui. Oh, okay. So, um, and feng shui, which if you, if you want to talk about later, is a... Yeah, I a do. I, as a, someone with an architectural background, I want to talk about that just a little bit. Oh, good, good, good. We can get into that later. So, um, I just wanted to, to give uh, a few more pieces of information there on divination because it's such a huge, huge area. So then uh, let's move on to spirit contact. And I'm actually okay. kind of surprised because... So if you've mentioned a few things that you put under divination that I would have thought you you would put under spirit contact. So, um, okay, <laughs> I'm interested to see what you have to say about about uh, spirit contact. Okay, spirit contact, um, of course, is a little more self-explanatory contact with a spirit. And um, here again, you can have different different forms of it. Usually, the most common one we probably know about is uh, attempted contact with the dead. And that's what I was thinking. Um, you, you talked about necromancy. Yes, yes. Well, necromancy is um, both. Some of these um, will overlap. So you could say necromancy is divination as well as spirit contact. And you could also say that a psychic is doing divination as well as spirit contact because all psychics, um, and in fact everyone in the occult, has uh, spirit guides, and a spirit guide, of course, is is a demon, but they believe that the spirit guide 
are benevolent and they have different views of them. You know, some think that they're they're good angels. Some think that they're a enlightened being that has moved on to another plane and is going to be like their teacher and guide. I mean, I had I had a spirit guide, and it's very common. So, spirit contact um, also can include just you, you think that you're contacting, let's say, um, an alien, or you're contacting just another being who has ascended to a higher realm, okay? You're not necessarily thinking that you're contacting the dead, but you're, basically you are contacting a disembodied uh, person or entity that is obviously not God, but is something else, even a false God. Um, this is; These are all forms of spirit contact, and there are different ways of doing it. There's, of course, just the the one where you're just trying to talk to whatever, or you can be using a Ouija board, or you can be channeling. Now, a channeler usually means that the person is giving themselves over to a spirit that will speak through them. And a medium is usually a person that believes they are making contact with the dead the dead person is not necessarily speaking through them, although um, More of an some interpreter kind of do, have, do have that happen. Uh, no, they just, they have... Um, they stand in the middle while between the spirit and the, and the person trying to speak to the spirit? Yeah, they're the, they're the person between, they're the intermediary between the living and the dead. And so they're the ones you know, Abe supposedly able to communicate with and receive the messages from from the dead, whom they call spirits. And so you have a whole, you know, area of people who believe in that or into that. There's a whole religion based on that called spiritualism, and mm-hmm. we do have a lot of spiritualist churches in this country. <laughs> um, and a lot of times you, you can't tell by the name that they're a spiritualist church because they usually don't use the word spiritualism or spiritualist in their in their title so often like there's around the almost not around the corner from me but very close to me there's a center for spiritual enlightenment and i um wasn't sure what it was and it turns out that it's a spiritualist church so their main thing is contact with the dead but it sounds sounds very new age mm-hmm. um <laughs> and so some of them will have these very um there's another one called um uh, I think it's the Arlington Metaphysical uh, Church, uh, and it is also um, a, a spiritualist church, which means that they believe in contacting the dead. I actually attended several spiritualist churches my junior year of college because I had a, a friend who, who was a senior, and she was doing a project on spiritualism, and her project required her to visit spiritualist churches, which she did not want to be alone, so do it alone, so a group of us went with her. And so I probably went to eight or nine spiritualists. I was afraid you were going to say, like, you know, Second Presbyterian Church or, you know, (laughs) Our our Lord's Episcopalian Church or something. No, no, their names are more, you know, won't won't sound like that. I mean, it won't be anything that that you recognize, but you won't be able to necessarily tell it's a spiritualist church. Sure. Um, 
Okay, so you have uh, that. Now, I want to say something about the Ouija board because a lot of people are probably thinking, well, wait a minute, Parker Brothers makes that. Isn't that just a game? And actually, the origins of the Ouija board go back to the 1800s to a man named Planchette, who was a spiritualist, who wanted to come up with what he thought would be a more effective way to contact the dead. Mm -hmm. And so he devised an early form of the Ouija board, which later was developed by a man in, in Baltimore named William Fold and his partner. And actually, if you look at a modern-day Ouija board, William Fold's name is at the top of the board. It's kind of in small letters, but it's still there. And he came up with a, a, a form of the Ouija board that looks more like what we have, but it was called the talking board. And then... Um, Several people were imitating it, so he and his partner decided to give it a name that they would uh, try to copyright and make just the name for their board. And so the Ouija board was the name that they came up with. According to them, they asked the board what it should be called. And the board spelled out Ouija, which is, yes, yes. We, French and German. French and German, yep. We and ya. O-U-I, yes, in French, J-A-S in German, and also a few other languages. And so you've got yes, yes on the board, which is kind of an invitation to spirit contact. So people should realize that the Ouija board was designed as a means of contacting the dead, and it was never designed as a game. Mm-hmm. So um, so you have, you have a lot of, uh, of things that can seem innocent like that. And uh, spirit contact is extremely dangerous. I have um, had to talk to people who were involved in it, and uh, it is really hideous what the the spiritual devastation and damage that is done to the person and how it lingers is really, really Mm -hmm. awful. So it is nothing you, you do not want to have anything to do with this. You do not want to go to a medium out of curiosity. Um, God is very clear. We are not to attempt to contact the dead or consult those who do. So uh, just stay away from that completely. Mm-hmm. So rounding out your top three, you've got sorcery and magic. Yes, sorcery um, slash magic is the third category. And basically the idea in, in sorcery is to bring about something that does not exist or to alter reality. So you're trying to manifest something into reality uh, that doesn't have a concrete existence, or you're trying to do something to alter reality, either in the present or future. And there are many ways this is done in in ritual uh, magic. It's done through rituals and incantations and the use of magical tools, which is very complicated and has to follow a very precise um, way of doing things. And, of course, there are different forms of it. Then you have a more common form that more people are familiar with, which is casting spells. And, of course, casting spells involves um, incantations and other things. So there's sort of a ritual with that, too, but it's still different from ritual magic. Uh, But there is a belief that you can alter reality by casting these spells. So uh, also, I wanted to mention that healing is a huge part 
of sorcery. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things done um, by people in these areas today to heal people. So healing can, which always, it always sounds like healing should be a good thing, right? I mean, everyone's going to think, well, healing is always a good thing. But when you're using um, sorcery to do it, no, it's not a good thing. (laughs) And of course, I think there's there's a term that is no longer used, that was used when I was growing up, that you really don't hear anymore. And that term is witch doctor. I was thinking the same thing, yeah. Yeah, it's now become shaman, and it's been glamorized by the culture. So to be a shaman is supposed to be a wonderful thing, but really a shaman is a sorcerer. Hmm. And part of what shamans usually do is is healing. Um, They may do this by calling on the gods or the spirits. They may do it with various incantations and using different herbs, etc., but the but and we can talk about examples later. But there is a lot more sorcery in healing in this culture than people realize, and I can give examples of that later. Sure. So um, it's it's more under the classification of New Age, but the actual root of it is the occult, mm-hmm. and people should be aware of that. So those are some of the 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 ways that I describe those three areas. One thing I wanted to get into now that we've got that kind of that foundations laid is uh, popular culture. And you spend a lot of time in TV, movies, books, games, um, you know, various aspects of popular, popular culture, exposing uh, occultic principles in entertainment. What are some of the, the common themes in popular uh, culture that you're seeing today? Well, I see, um, of course, astrology is very popular. You have horoscope columns, you know, in the newspaper, and especially in women's magazines. They're they're almost in every um, big-name women's magazine that I can think of. Uh, And people tend to see this as a harmless thing, you know, to read your horoscope column. I, of course, advise against it. I have an article on my website on, on to read or not read your horoscope uh, because I think it can draw you in to being interested mm-hmm. in astrology or into believing there is something to it. Uh, so that is probably one of the huge things. And about 25 to 33% of the population on a regular basis, when they do these polls every five years or so, um, believe in astrology and probably a higher percentage read their horoscopes. And I happen to know a lot of Christians read their horoscopes. So it's yeah. a very it's a very timely topic to to mention. Uh, then I think in entertainment in the shows, we have seen an increase in TV shows that glamorize things such as Contact with the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, several years ago, NBC started a show called Medium, Um, about a woman who supposedly can get messages from the dead. This is actually based on a real woman, a real live medium named Alison Dubois, and they they gave that name to the character in the show. And supposedly some of the episodes are based on her real-life cases, uh, and the uh, police where she lives use her and all this kind of stuff. So the show, when NBC started it, they weren't sure how it was going to do, and it turned out to be a sleeper hit, and it's and it's still on. I mean, this is still a popular show. 
and another one is Ghost Whisperer, which uh, has Jennifer Love Hewitt as the woman who who sees these dead people, and, and, and she resolves issues for people still alive um, because there's some kind of unfinished business these, these dead people have. And now this show is fictional. Well, supposedly it seems fictional, but here's, here's something kind of interesting about that show. One of the co-producers of that show is James Van Prague, uh-huh. P-R-A-A-G-H. He's one of the top mediums in the country. Mm-hmm. He's written several books, which are bestsellers. And um, he's a co-producer, and he says that some of the shows are based on some of his cases. That's not so, surprising. Um, it's, uh, I, I've seen a lot of teams run Prague. Yes, that's uh, that's a that's a big one. Ghost Whisperer, and uh, there's other you know there's other sh- movies and and shows that come out. Well, just Ghost was a movie that had uh, contact with the dead. Um, there was a show, um, a movie, I think Hereafter, produced by Clint Eastwood, who apparently believes in this stuff. Um, you would never think he would. You know, you think of him as this kind of tough guy that yep. <laughs> is into action and adventure. So it's very strange that he takes an interest in contact with the dead. Um, Sylvia Brown's a very popular medium who was on the Montel Williams show for years, week after week after week, because... Uh, he says that she diagnosed um, an illness uh, that the doctors had not diagnosed. And so he, after that, he was so grateful to her and admired her so much, he put her on his show every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, John Edwards, another very popular medium who had a a hit show crossover, um, started on the Sci-Fi Channel, and then it, it got so popular it was put on on other channels. So there's a lot of this stuff we see on the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, those all have to do with contact with the dead. Of course, I can't not mention Harry Potter, right. um, which you, in which you have the hero who starts off, I mean, he's a child, he's 11 years old in the first book, and he, he casts spells. And, and and he goes to the school, Hogwarts, and the school is to hone your magical skills. And so you, you know, you learn to cast spells, you do magical potions, um, you take a divination class. Uh, there's also contact with the dead. And especially in the last book, it's, it's a very big part of the story. And I recall that, you know, I, I've been speaking to youth groups I actually, before going into full-time ministry, I did my ministry part-time, and I first spoke to youth groups, you know, like in the in the mid-90s, and I would ask them, if I talked on the occult, I would ask them if they knew what divination was, and usually nobody knew what divination was. Nobody, no one would raise their hand. After Harry Potter, I would say, does anybody know what divination is? And almost all of them would raise their hand. Wow. Well, why? It's because they had read Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> and so they at least had heard the word, even if they couldn't um, define it. So uh, I found it very interesting, the, the change. That, I mean, I saw that. That was quite a big change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that's, 
Shui. Yeah, I was just going to bring up Feng Shui because you we're talking about entertainment, but that's another aspect of popular culture these days is is, is Feng Shui. And I've got a little bit of uh, experience, I should say, with with Feng Shui. I was saved about halfway through my college experience, uh, and I went to school for architecture. And uh-huh. my last year of architecture, we were given a project. We were supposed to work on um, a, like a spiritual retreat. And I was fortunate wow. my, my uh, class was divided up into three uh, like subclasses. And um, I was very fortunate because my instructor said, you can do any spiritual retreat you want. It just has to be a spiritual retreat. You can do you know, whatever. So, of course, being a Christian, I did a Christian retreat. But mm-hmm. uh, one of the other instructors said, you have to do feng shui. Wow. And that was, I was, I, I felt very fortunate because that's the one where I would have said, I either get a religious exemption or you fail me because I'm not doing it. Right. Yes. But I'll let you talk about what Feng Shui is and, and why it's so popular right now. Yes. Feng Shui um, is actually a complex form of divination that is based mostly on Taoist beliefs, which, which uh, comes from the ancient Chinese religion, Taoism, which permeates our culture a lot more than people realize. For example, the ubiquitous yin-yang symbol um, comes from from Taoism. And uh, Taoism believes that there is this force or universal force or energy called qi. In Japan, it's called ki. And this this force or energy can be can be good and bad. So there's good chi and bad chi. And the idea is that when you're building a structure, first of all, you want to place it. If you're building it from scratch, it has to be placed um, a certain way. Um, for example, like mountains or hills need to be behind it, not in front of it. Um, and they have various things about where the bodies of water should be, if there are any around, and where the trees should be. This all is based on geomancy. Um, a belief that the the earth and the shape of the earth is going to have an effect on on your um, you know your life in that building. Then after the building is built, how everything is arranged inside the building is where feng shui also comes in because they believe that you have to arrange things to attract the good chi and repel the bad chi, and so. Uh, you know, a mirror needs to be placed in a certain place to attract the good chi. Uh, if you have a stairway, you should have plants going up the stairway to draw in the good chi. And then there are other things that you do to keep out the bad chi. For example, if you have a sidewalk path going up to the front door, if it's straight, it will attract bad chi. So it needs to be curved or at least look curved, and that will keep the bad chi away. Now, this is what feng shui is, and it gets more complicated. I won't go into it, but there's also a, a um, certain forms of feng shui use the compass method, and there's a compass that has the directions on it, north, northeast, you know, east, southeast, west, southwest, etc. And those are applied to your house and the room. And certain areas of the house are like the how the area for money, the area for love, the area for health, etc. And they all have to be arranged according to that, so that you have 
you know, good fortune in all of those areas. Uh, then you have the five metal, the five metals, uh, or the five elements, I'm sorry, that come into play, which include wood and metal and, um, you know, earth and fire and all of, all of that. Everything's categorized according to that. And there's a destructive cycle between those five elements and there's a constructive cycle. So some of those elements can't be next to each other because they're destructive. Um, and then you want to have the, the constructive cycle. You want to have that done right, so the elements have to be, the things that represent different elements have to be placed a certain way. So this, I mean, this is what, this is what feng shui is. It is not about taking clutter out of your house. Everybody thinks, oh yeah, I need to feng shui my house and remove the clutter. Mm-hmm. You know, I realize that removing the clutter is part of feng shui, but that is just like one little minute part of it, and you can, you can get the idea that it's good. It's a good thing to remove clutter from your house without using feng shui. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't need feng shui mm. to know that you should not have clutter in your house um, or your room or whatever. So you can you can have an aesthetically pleasing uh, decorating, you know, scheme or theory or way to choose colors and arrange furniture without using feng shui. People do not need feng shui. And I realize sometimes that the result of using feng shui may be a very pleasing interior to the home. But you can get a pleasing interior to the home without feng shui. After all, we've had interior decorators here for a long time before feng shui ever came along. And, you know, people got along just dandy without feng shui. Now that feng shui has become um, a little more common and people are talking about it, I know several years ago they started talking about it on these home shows and decorating shows on TV, and so people got interested in it and their books came out on it, etc. I mean, I've read two or three of them. I have an article on feng shui on my website, by the way, and um, all of a sudden it became popular and a lot of Christians were thinking that it was just a decorating scheme mm-hmm. when in actuality it's based on Taoism and it's a form of divination. Mm-hmm. That's why I was fortunate being such a young Christian that it was presented to me in a way that was clearly a spiritual thing and it was um, something that was not in harmony with my Christianity. So it was easy as a young Christian, an immature Christian to see that it was something I shouldn't get involved in. And, Yes, it's good. It's good that you that you did not have to you did not have to get involved in that. And, and some of and it was just being blessed. It. The Lord blessed me that He put me in the right uh, under the right instructor who just gave me the freedom to do what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, that was a good thing. Not everybody is, you know, um, fortunate in that case. You know, I've had emails from people in um, offices including government offices. I'm talking about the U.S. government, which, of course, is kind of big around here where I live. And some of them have had feng shui people come in and rearrange the office according to feng shui. And, I mean, this is done in our federal government. And, um, of course, a lot of people in private offices, a lot of real estate people have told me, not just around here but everywhere, that feng shui is very, very big in real estate and in interior decorating. So it is still out there. It is still something that people might come into contact with. Mm -hmm. 
Well, one thing I wanted to get into uh, before we run out of time is um, we talked a lot about the occult in the last, uh, say, about 50 minutes or so. Why is this important to Christians? I mean, not just to be aware of it, but what what is it that, why are we doing this today? Why is it important for Christians to understand the occult? I think the reason is because it is something that just does not go away. Um, here the Lord, you know, wrote about it um, in, in Deuteronomy, you know, one of the earlier books of the Old Testament, and one of, of course, the earliest parts of the Bible. And this is still around, because this is a way that Satan deceives people. It is a way to draw you away from the Lord. If you are a believer, if you aren't a believer, you really can get trapped in it and get in bondage to it. So um, for people who don't know Christ, it is a huge deception and trap for many of them, even for Christians People can get caught up in it, and it, it sort of infects them. It infects their worldview. I have known Christians who um, maybe went to a psychic out of desperation or an astrologer, and then the psychic or astrologer says something that is either accurate or helpful, and they think that may, oh, this is something that, that can help them, and it seems to be the only thing, um, and they start seeking answers from the psychic or astrologer and not from the Lord. It takes them away from the Lord. Um, so that's one way. And then the other way is, of course, some of these uh, shows, TV shows and movies, uh, people a lot of times will say, well, I'm just watching it, you know, for entertainment. And I, I know that it's, you know, I'm not going to go to a psychic or medium, but this is such a good story. Um, but it, it desensitizes you, and it makes you a little less aware of how evil it is, because this stuff is totally evil. It is not just that it's false or that it's wrong. It's that it has evil at its root, and uh, that is why it's important to recognize it. Also, another reason we should know about it is that it seems to be increasing in our culture. The... Um, it used to be, you know, 30, 40 years ago, that witchcraft was always considered bad, and, um, uh, and you know, that was always a bad thing. It was a bad thing to to cast spells, etc. Nowadays, that's it's not really. You're actually maybe even, uh, if you say something against it, people think you're being narrow-minded. So, you know, it's really, I mean, I realize other things have happened, too. You know, we're more pluralistic, we're more relativistic in the culture, etc. But the, the barriers to the occult or the traditional view that it was not something to fool around with, those barriers are gone. And it's more or less acceptable to a large percentage of the population. And so people, especially with children, need to be aware of it because their children are going to be exposed to it in one form or another. And so the parent needs to know about it and be aware of it to protect the child and to teach the child to be discerning. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about you and how, how people can find you in your writings. Um, you've got a book, website, uh, ministry. Okay. Um, yeah, um, I, I have a book. Uh, you can get it from an Amazon uh, marketplace seller or another secondhand uh, bookseller, Spellbound, The Paranormal Seduction of Today's Kids. It came out in 06, and it, it 
is a lot basically in more detail of what we talked about today and also gives suggestions at the end of each chapter on how to talk to your child about that particular area if you desire to do that. Uh, and, and then at the end of the book, I talk about how you respond to objections, um, such as, especially from teenagers, such as, well, it's just a game, that kind of objection. And um, I also have a lot of articles on my website at christiananswersforthenewage.org. Um, and uh, it's very easy to find me in Google if you put my name, Marsha Montenegro, um, probably, I imagine, my articles from my website come up right away. I have articles in other places, too, and I have some published um, articles in the Christian Research Journal and in the Midwest Outreach um, Journal. There's some articles, and I have a few things published in um, books like On Global Wizardry. is a very good book edited by Peter Jones. Uh, which covers a lot of the modern belief systems we have that are um, New Age and neo-pagan. And uh, I have a chapter in there, a very detailed chapter on astrology. So uh, I have a list on my website. There's a page, if you scroll down the articles page, uh, there's a page that goes to a list of my publications where I have all of that listed. Okay. And this is episode 47 of Echo Zoe Radio, so if people want to check the show notes, I'll put as, links to as much of that as I can in the show notes, echozoe.com slash 47 once it's up. Uh, so if you're listening in a car or somewhere where you can't write this stuff down, enough, check that out. Before we close, okay. is there any, anything else that you might want to cover? I just want to mention real quickly, I just saw the the, the first episode of a new show uh, with Kiefer Sutherland on TV called Touch, mm-hmm. and I wanted to mention that it has uh, an occult-based theme about um, his son who's able to discern patterns and numbers. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to mention that, that just the first episode came out just this week. So I wanted okay. to mention that as just another example of how this is this kind of thing is ongoing in our culture. There's one that I've watched a couple episodes of, and, and uh, you know it's kind of an interesting storyline, but I'll throw it out as, as kind of a, asking your thoughts on it. And it's, okay. It's on NBC. It's called Awake. And the idea is the... Oh, yes. The main <laughs> character... <laughs> the main character is a police detective. He's married with a son, a teenage son. And the first episode, they get in a bad car accident, and... He finds himself stuck between two worlds, and in one world, his wife is dead, and in the other world, his son is dead, and he travels between the two worlds by going to sleep. So as soon as he falls asleep in one world, he wakes up in the other world, and some of it is interacting with his wife and son, and a lot of it is uh, trying to solve these crimes, and it's like the world split when, when his wife and son died, so characters kind of you know he, there were characters that he put in prison beforehand that you see kind of what plays out in that person's life given the two uh choices of what happened two circumstances it's it's kind of interesting you know it's one of those it's kind of a fantasy show but um i thought i'd just throw it out as it's a brand new show it's probably like four or five episodes of 
Yeah, I would not classify that as a cult. I, I saw the first two episodes. I classified it as, as fantasy. Um, I actually think it's pretty clever. Um, I don't know if you ever saw a, a uh, movie called, I think it was called Sliding Doors or something. No. Um, I'm trying to remember the actress. But the actress is pretty well known who was the main actress. I mean, it came out at least 10 years ago, maybe more. And it was it, it was a... a a show where she is running to get on the subway and she misses it and it shows what happens if she misses it. And then there's an alternate where she does make the subway and it shows how her future is completely different, Mm. whether she misses the subway or makes that subway, which is a, it was a very interesting movie that, you know, I classify as, as fantasy and I classify this awake as fantasy too. I don't really see anything occult or new age about it, at least in the episodes I saw. Sure. Now, uh, maybe that's something that we should, I should ask you about before we close is uh, this distinction between fantasy and what you would consider dangerous. Yes, um, and and that is a good topic. And actually, I have a chapter on that in my in my book spell okay. down the fantasy versus the the paranormal. Um, fantasy is really just uh, the use of the imagination, mm-hmm. and you can have fantasy without any or science fiction, too, which is, is very much related to fantasy, mm-hmm. you can have those those genres without occult or New Age themes. Um, now, it just so happens, unfortunately, that a lot of people who write um, fantasy and, and some science fiction will incorporate New Age and occult-type things. That's mm-hmm. that's a problem. I mean, I think Harry Potter is a good example of that. You could classify it. I do not think it's it's really the fantasy genre, and a lot of people don't think it is, but mm-hmm. you, it can kind of put it in that category in a sense, but um, I don't think it's true fantasy, but it, it has, part of it is sort of, but yet it has occult themes. So I think that, and, and for example, Lord of the Rings, I think is is a true fantasy genre. I don't think that it um not it's not so much that just whether or not something has occult themes is it glamorizing the occult okay. is that's it a, is it a, exalting the occult? I do not think yeah. Lord of the Rings glamorizes or or uh, there's a few things in the book I don't like, but uh on the whole, I don't think that it glamorizes the occult like Harry Potter does. So I think the issue is to not reject all fantasy, but to see what is it promoting. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for taking some time with me today to talk on this subject. It's very enlightening, and I I very much enjoy talking with you today. Well, I certainly enjoyed it, Andy. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and um, you know, it's an area I have a lot to say on, and so <laughs> yeah. it's uh, very, very easy for me to talk about it. <laughs> but I'm glad that people, hopefully people can learn, and it will be edifying um, mm-hmm. to believers and, and help them be more aware of, of of these things. And I want to thank, I know she's listening, or she's going to listen. I want to thank Christine Pack for yes. uh, for putting this together for us, because uh, she's a mutual friend and helped to make it happen. So thanks, Christine. Yes, thanks, Christine. I want to thank her, too. That wraps up episode 47. Thanks again for listening. Remember to check out echozoe.com slash 47 for show notes, including an outline of what you just heard, as well as scriptures referenced and additional resources. Thanks again for listening, and Lord willing, I'll be back in April for another episode of Echo Zoe Radio.